Terry? How are you doing this morning, church? I'm good. Thank you, Jeannie. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? I've, I've asked this question or a similar one in a couple of different classes lately. I've asked, what is the most important thing that Jesus did on this earth? I asked in, in, uh, in an adult class, what's the most important characteristic of God? A couple of different questions like that. And we've shared some great insight uh, about what is, in, uh, what is important that, uh, uh, about who, who God is. We've, we've crowdsourced, you know, these uh, different important ideas and themes to our, our uh, faith in God, that God is love, but God is also justice, that Jesus healed, but he also taught and rebuked. But what, what is the gospel? What is the, is, the, is the core of the good news? When I, I was growing up, the gospel was taught to me as the D-E-R. Any guesses uh, about the A-B-R? Yeah, yeah, the death and the burial and the resurrection. That was the gospel. The big salvation acts that Jesus fulfilled is the gospel. And that was a good answer. That was a good answer. But as I got older, there was an L that was added to the front. Any guesses on the L? Life, yeah. Because it wasn't just important that Jesus, Jesus was crucified and that Jesus was resurrected, but it was also important how Jesus lived and that Jesus truly lived. That the divine became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and the way that he did it is almost as important as the major events around the cross. So the L and the D and B are the gospel, the life, death, burial, and resurrection. That's a pretty good answer. But I still think there's something missing. I, I think we tend to, or at least I do, we tend to boil down, down the gospel to, uh, to verses like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, only son. And the gospel we might say, is, is how much God loves us and, and, and the work that he did because of his great love. Well, throughout this calendar year, at different times, we've stepped in and out of the book of Acts, and this month, we're stepping back in the Acts of the Apostles and the life of the early church. And while we've been looking through Acts, we've been considering what it means for us to be a witness, how we ought to share, share the gospel message by following the early church's example. But there's something curious about, about the gospel message in Acts. In the near 20 sermons that are found in the book of Acts, most of which are given by people who sat at the feet of Jesus during his life and even saw the risen, uh, uh, the risen son. In the near 20 sermons in Acts and, and throughout the whole book, you might find it interesting that the word love is not found one time. In Luke's entire history of the early church and the spread of this great gospel message and these great Christian communities that are doing really great things, Acts doesn't use the word love one time. I wonder why that is. Now, I certainly think that love is important. Love is certainly at the root of many of the things that were happening in the early church, and it was certainly at the root of what Jesus 
what Jesus did when he was on the earth. But love wasn't the core message of the church. The gospel message in Acts is not that Jesus is love. The gospel message in Acts is that Jesus is Lord. Their message is that Jesus' work does not stop with the LDBR, the ascension, which comes after. Jesus' enthronement as king, as Lord, is the most important thing for these early Christians. What would it look like today if, if the church emphasized Jesus as Lord as much as they did? Like I've already mentioned, this calendar year, we've worked through the book of Acts at uh, uh, different uh, times on, on and off. This theme that we've been looking at in Acts is, is eyewitness. The things that we have witnessed God do in our lives, we are called to bear witness to other people about those things. We saw this in Acts chapter uh, Acts chapter. Or when the first wave of opposition comes to the church, and Peter and John declare in Acts 4.20, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And if we're going to bear witness to the gospel, then no matter the opposition, we must be willing to say the same thing, that we cannot help but share the things that we've heard. We cannot help but talk about the things we've seen and heard. We cannot help but witness about the things that we've witnessed. And when we think about that word witness, we might assume it, makes to, it means to make a defense for our, our faith, and it, it certainly can mean that. If you, uh, if you were here with us at the beginning of the year, we talked about an important role that an eyewitness can play in the court of law, and sometimes our, our witness as Christians can come like that where we're given an opportunity to make a defense for the truth. And we might hope that when the time comes that I hear someone talking down about, uh, uh, talking down about Jesus, talking down about faith, like uh, Dave mentioned earlier, when that moment comes, hopefully I'll be able to say the right things. That if my faith is strong enough, I'll be able to stand against my opponents. And that is important. But... Is being a witness of the gospel just about faith? Is it just about what we believe about Jesus? Is it just about our internal knowledge? If the core of the gospel for the Christians in Acts is that Jesus is Lord, then I think being a witness means more than just having a strong faith. It might mean that we're asked to give something as well. If you remember back to the beginning of Acts, after the Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2, after the first arrest of the apostles in Acts chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, we're given this first great description of what life was like in the early church. It was, it was uh, read for us earlier, but I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to read it again in light of this statement, that Jesus is Lord. Because in Acts chapters 4 and, and uh, at the beginning of chapter 5, we're actually given two examples of what it looks like to be a Christian. One for someone who fully believes that Jesus is Lord, and another example that comes immediately after of what it looks like when someone does not believe that. Let's look at Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Uh, 
once again. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and the great grace was upon uh, was upon them all, and there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostle, apostles Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement, who was a Levite and a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is one of one of the first uh, descriptions of what this great Christian community was like in the early days of the church. And we see right here one of the many references to the importance that Jesus is Lord at the, at, at the beginning of the reading, that the, the message the apostles were teaching the people is that Jesus is Lord. And we also see that people were responding to this gospel message with immense amounts of hospitality and generosity. This is a common theme throughout the book of Acts, and we'll come back to uh, generosity in a moment. But one of the cool things that we see here in our description is our first introduction to one of the influential people in the early church, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, a Levite and a native of Cyprus. And I told you this morning that we would look at two examples of what it looked like to respond to the message that Jesus is Lord. Barnabas is the first example, and he is the positive example. We aren't told much about him here, but he's going to play an instrumental role in the book of Acts. He's one of, one of the defenders of Paul's conversion. And he's actually a partner with Paul in his early missionary journeys. And not only that, but when Paul and Barnabas began their uh, ministry, when they face early opposition, where do they go? Barnabas leads them to Cyprus to his hometown, to bring the good news about Jesus to his own neighborhood. And right here in this short introduction to Barnabas, we're shown a very important thing about what he believes. The fact that Jesus is Lord to Barnabas means everything. It means that even his own, own belongings are God's. Not just his faith, but his life. And in the early church, one of the, th one of the things we see several times we get these glimpses that the early Christian group is that they were incredibly generous, sometimes going as far to sell their property in order to meet the needs of, of their brothers and sisters in Christ. What was happening in the early church, this is not an internal movement. Their belief was external. It was visible. Now, the apostles weren't teaching that nobody could own anything and that you had to give everything, but there's this clear understanding that if you believe Jesus is Lord, then you're going to do something about it. You're going to do something with that belief. It might mean that you were opening up your home to, to the apostles or, or, to, or to pray for the church with your brothers and sisters. It uh, might have meant that you were sacrificing some of your time to help, help this early movement, because Jesus wasn't just Lord of their faith. Jesus was Lord of their life. In this community, they're unified in their belief. It's uh, said that they have one heart and one soul. They were devoted to the risen Lord. And they had a responsibility to one another, but they had a responsibility 
to the one who sat on the throne. The fact that Jesus is Lord, it meant that this early church now had responsibilities outside of themselves. They weren't just concerned. A lot of these new Christians were Jews. Most of them at this point are Jewish converts, and they're no longer just concerned about their individual salvation, their own needs, their own family, their own household. They're outward focused. They're focused about, about the needs of their brothers and sisters, celebrating what the church uh, is doing regularly, gathering for, uh, 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 for prayer and for reading of scripture. Because the news that Jesus is Lord changes everything. So if, if Barnabas is our positive ex- example, that Jesus is Lord means I'm going to give everything I have to God, not just what's convenient. Let's look at the next example. Immediately after, after, after the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, we're introduced to another couple who you might have heard of, Ananias and Sapphira. Let's look back at Acts chapter 5. And a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. And the young men rose and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. Certainly, when compared to Barnabas, these two, Ananias and Sapphira, who we'll get to in just a moment, are the negative example. And this is a pretty shocking text that comes right in the middle of this really exciting, really encouraging new early church movement. The idea that God would punish sin so abruptly probably sounds pretty foreign. But there are a couple of things here that I think are really important to how we understand the movement of the gospel in Acts. The first thing is that God still cares about sin in the early church. And I used to think that the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was that they didn't give everything that they had, that only, that everybody had to give everything and you couldn't keep anything. And I, I, I used to think that was pretty harsh. Their sin is not that they did not give everything. Their sin is that they pretended to give everything when in reality they knew they were holding back. They didn't have to sell their property. They didn't even have to give all the money to the church. But when they lied about it and they pretended that they were giving everything, And they work together as a couple, we'll explore that later, to paint this picture that they were just as faithful as someone like Barnabas. When they lied to paint that picture, that they were someone who was giving everything, that was their sin. And it's okay if if they didn't give every last penny, every last ounce of energy that they had to the church, But the message here is don't give or serve for the visual. 
that you're giving all that you can when in, in reality you don't really care about the work that's being done. Like Ananias and Sapphira, they just cared about themselves, just cared about taking care of themselves. A second important thing that we see here is what this miracle says about faith. Yes, what happens here in Acts chapter 5 is a miracle. It is not a healing one like the ones that we're used to, but it's a miracle nonetheless. We've talked about, uh, we have not talked about miracles a whole lot this year um, in Acts, but miracles happened at different times in the early church, and usually when we see a miracle happen, it's either to help prove the authority of the gospel, to help the gospel move into, into new places or new people, or we see miracles to make a statement about the authority of Jesus. And there is definitely a statement that's made here in Acts chapter 5 in this miracle. The statement that's made here, I, I think, is one that says, this faith in God, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is not like, is not going to be treated like the faith that the Jews once knew. This new faith in Jesus isn't about personal piety. It's not about individual salvation, about putting on a front of, here's how much we gave, here's how holy we are. It's outward, it's external, it's communal. This morning, it might, might sound like I'm de-emphasizing how important it is to have faith. I'm absolutely not. On the contrary, I'm suggesting that faith is important. Faith is all the more important. If we know who Jesus is, if we have faith in Jesus, and that faith should spur us on to do works. But if your, if, if your faith, if your belief does not prompt you to do work, then I wonder exactly how convicted we are. Or, or better yet, I wonder if maybe we believe something wrong about Jesus. Because Jesus isn't just the Lord over our internal belief. He's Lord over our life. Ananias and Sapphira, oddly enough, I think they believed in Jesus. And they had heard the gospel and they knew what the church was doing. They probably believed in God. But the fact that they thought that they could fool the apostles about how generous they were, about how faithful they were, maybe they thought they could even fool God himself, or maybe they didn't even think that God would care. The fact that they did that probably shows that they really didn't fully comprehend what it means that Jesus is Lord. And this isn't like Adam and Eve where, you know, they have their, uh, of their sin and they point to each other and they say, he, he made me do it, she made me do it. This is something that they did together. Husband and wife, they decided that Jesus was not going to be Lord over their life. Have we done that? M maybe not so explicitly, maybe more implicitly. Let's look back at Acts chapter 5, and we'll see how this happens again, this time from Sapphira's point of view. In Acts chapter 5, verse 7, after, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, 
tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? And behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at your door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. When when Sapphira is asked by Peter about what she did, she knows two things. One, she knows the truth. And two, she knows what her and her husband had already agreed upon. That this husband and wife conspired together to give less than what they knew they could. Why would they do that, do you think? Why would they lie and pretend to give everything when they knew that they would be holding some back secretly? Maybe one reason that they they lied is because they wanted to be praised, like Barnabas, who had his aim changed because of his encouragement and his generosity. Maybe they really did want to help the church, but they were more thoughtful about their own security. Or maybe this action was thoughtless, and they really didn't consider that Jesus was Lord even over, over, their, over their property and their finances. Sure, they believed that Jesus was the Son of God and that he was a good person. I mean, they were a part of the church after all, but did they really believe that Jesus was Lord of the kingdom that he had proclaimed was coming? And have we been guilty of that? I mentioned earlier that this was a miracle here in Acts chapter 5. At the end of, of the reading in Acts chapter 5.11, we see a similar response that we see to most of the other miracles in the book of Acts, that there was a great fear or great awe that came over all the people who saw what had taken place. Has great awe come over us about the miracles that Jesus did? through the different ways that he showed us that he is Lord, has great awe come over us about Jesus' life, about Jesus' death, about Jesus' resurrection, but above all, and this is the primary focus of Acts, about Jesus' ascension, that Jesus is Lord. Because if Jesus really is Lord of our life, it would affect the way that we spend our money. The many men who stand up here every week to uh, uh, share some thought to collection often, often talk about the proper time that we ought to think about our giving. You should not be thinking about how much you're going to give on Sunday morning as the plates are being passed. God does not want thoughtless giving. He's not an idol. How much you give must come from an intentional decision as as the first thing that you do with your money. And it's something that you should be evaluating regularly. And better yet, if you're married, husbands and wives, you should get together to talk more often about how Jesus is Lord of your life. And talk about how the fact that Jesus is Lord of your life, how are you going to show that in your money? How are you going to show that in how you give to others and how you're generous? Because the decision to be generous is not made in the moment. It's made long before you see someone in need. We should also be talking about how Jesus is not 
going to be just Lord over our finances, but he's also going to be Lord over our time as well. There are a lot of different things that are pulling for our attention, but if Jesus is Lord, then are those things more important than Jesus? Does the way that I use my time and my energy show that I believe that Jesus is Lord? Again, this isn't about self-inflicted poverty that you have to always go without. You get no time for yourself, no time for your family. But how willing are you to give your time up? I think is a question we need to ask. One way to test this, to test how firmly convicted we are that Jesus is Lord and how much we've made that a part of our, our living is the next time you hear a need, the next time you hear an opportunity to serve, the next time you hear someone at church who needs a meal or maybe even just needs a prayer, the next time you hear about that need, how long, how long do you think about it before you decide you can't do it? It's okay if we can't serve every time, and it's okay if we can't give every time. But if Jesus is Lord of our life, and I believe that he is, and I know that you believe it too. If Jesus is Lord of our life, then it's going to affect the way that we live. It's going to affect the way that we care for our brothers and sisters. It's going to affect our decisions. And that's something I'm, I'm sure that you believe, but maybe our priorities in life have shifted over time as our lives have changed. And if that's the case, you do believe that Jesus is Lord, but your life isn't adding up to that answer. Then maybe it's might be time that you revisit that in how you lived. Our faith should not cause us to float aimlessly through life until your days are over, like the Gentiles do, but our faith, our belief that Jesus is Lord should prompt us to take captive every hour, every dollar, every place, every, every, every relationship like we talked last week and ask, how can I give this to the Lord? And it's okay if you can't, but like Ananias and Sapphira, don't pretend to give everything when you know in your hearts that you can give more. This morning, my conclusion for us is, is pretty simple. It's just this question. Does the way that you use your resources say that Jesus is the Lord? Whether or not you're married, Christians have to be serious about the way that we treat our faith. And one of the ways that we do that is by talking about it with our brothers and sisters, by talking about it as husbands and wives, by talking about it as a family, because our faith is not just an internal belief. It's our personal conviction about the way that we ought to live. When was the last time that you talked with your family about how you were going to make Jesus the Lord over, over your money? When was the last time you considered your job and asked, am I still able to do this job and Jesus be Lord? When was the last time you looked at an email asking for aids and longed for new ways that you could help serve others? Because if Jesus is Lord, that's going to change our lives. Because if Jesus is Lord, the powers of this world do not have any hold on us. Because Jesus is Lord, the weight of our sins is not on us anymore. Because Jesus is Lord, a weight of having to find the right answer, to be the Savior in your own life, that weight is gone because Jesus is making all things new. If you have never been baptized, this Jesus whom we crucified is risen and he is Lord of all. That's the message in Acts 2 and Acts 1. But this loving King 
who has eliminated the stronghold of every other authority, every power on this life that claims to have a hold on you, this king loves you. If you need to be baptized and declare your allegiance to the king and have your sins washed away, we would love to help you do that. If you are a Christian, I hope that you are regularly evaluating your faith and not just saying, do we believe the right things, but also asking, what is our belief prompting us to do? We are not saved because of how much we serve or because of how much we give. We give and we serve because we've been saved. If you have any need, whether it's here in person or it's on Facebook, I I hope that you make it known because Jesus is Lord. The early church knew it and we know it too. But that's something that we need to regularly evaluate how we are making that message a part of our lives, a part of our marriages, a part of our jobs, a part of who we are. If you have any need this morning, I hope you'll make it known right now as we stand and sing.